can start a church and go from there, you know? Because everyone's family and everyone's situation is different. Like space for me might be very different to space for Keenan, might be very different to space for Michelle, might be very different to space for Emma and Matt. So if you start at your identity, you know, it should solve, it should help you solve or find or give you wisdom. So, yeah. Yeah, great. Michelle, do you have anything to add? Nothing to add, just that, um, yeah, it was really great how Keenan tied it back to your identity in Christ as a motivation for why you should tolerate someone. It's, it's a real practical gospel application. Um, I think people think the gospel is like just something you believe and then you walk around and you know, what you do is sort of separate from your belief system, but it's, it's not. It's the, what you know about Jesus is directly linked to what you're going to do and how you treat people. So that's dope. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I really want to thank you, Keenan, for that answer because it was really like, um, so something that, that I think is really a clever thing when you're thinking about your identity. Sometimes we don't even quite know what it looks like. Um, but something that's really helpful is that, do you remember that, that cheesy thing? Well, you guys probably might not have seen it. Um, I'm old, so I might have seen some stuff that you haven't. Um, <laughs> is uh, used to get those bracelets, those WWJD things. Do you remember those things? That stood for what would Jesus do? Um, and, and that is a kind of helpful way of sometimes saying, you know, if, if my identity has changed, what that means as a Christian is it means that I've been made into the identity of Christ. Um, and and uh, and that means what I've got to continually do is say, what would Jesus do, right? Um, and and some other helpful things just from the Gospels is one is that Jesus Jesus like you could almost argue that his family he he even says um, those who who follow me and my word are my brothers and sisters, my mothers, my brothers and sisters. He says that, and and he had issues with in his circle of twelve disciples. If you remember. Uh, he he once felt that that Simon Peter was was like Satan to him. Um, so they had they had their conflicts, they had their issues. Um, also, Jesus at points, I kind of wondered if he often felt like he just couldn't really get much time alone because there's that moment where he's in Mark's gospel. I think it's chapter two or it's in the early chapters where he um, he's busy. He goes to pray. And then while he's praying, he's he's like that's the that's the one time he's getting a moment to just have to himself where he can just sit and speak to his father. And then like Simon Peter comes running in and says like, "Hey Jesus, there's some people downstairs who need you." Uh, and then Jesus doesn't say go away. He just says, uh, "Okay, we've actually got to carry on teaching and move to the next town." So you know, like yeah, I think he understands what it means to to have the certainly the stresses and pressures we have with family. Which kind of gives me a bit of comfort because at least I know that I'm not just talking to someone who hasn't struggled with this stuff. When I chat to God, I know he's also had some family issues, um, and that's helpful. And and Jesus' response was to to always continually serve. Um, so that's another thing for us to keep reminding ourselves of is when Jesus was struggling with these things, he didn't he didn't go immediately. What are my needs? What what must I get? What must I do? He actually thought outside of himself and thought, how can I actually serve these people even in the midst of intense pressure?
so that is a that's just a a thought there. Uh, sorry, guys, I clicked record earlier because I forgot to re start recording this. So we are recording these sessions. So this week on the website, you'll find you'll be able to get this in last week's one. Let's move on swiftly. Uh, so the next person to speak will be um, will be Michelle. Can you uh, help us out, Michelle? Alrighty. So um, the topics or the questions that I will answer fall under one topic of God's leadership overall. And the first question is, how do we know Christianity is the only true religion? So I think the question is a big question because to come to believe the answer is actually the trick because I would say that the answer is fairly simple, but obviously taking it and applying it and believing it is something totally different. Um, so my simple answer would be, um, we know Christianity is the only true religion because God is the only true God. And um, that would be God of the Bible. So then obviously the question that would follow is, well, how do we believe that God is the only true God? So um, I'd start off by saying that you won't come to trust God, you know, necessarily only by um, asking about him, but you, but you can. But also what's important to know is that you can ask him to help you to understand him and to trust him. So it's two-sided. So you can get information about God, but you can also talk to God. Um, he's let us know that um, um, you can ask him. So, you know, Matthew 7 verse 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. So this is not necessarily about stuff. Um, I think because it's very definitive language, like it's very like guarantee type of language. It doesn't say if you maybe ask then sometimes it says ask and it will be given. And we can be sure just from other parts of the Bible that this is exactly the type of request that God is happy to answer. If you have a desire to know him and a desire to trust him, but you feel you can't, you just feel like you don't have enough information. If you ask him then he will be happy to give that to you because everything that he's done, sending Jesus to die on the cross was so that you can know him. Everything he's done on this earth that we've witnessed and read in the Bible is to reveal himself to you. So of course, if you ask him to reveal himself, um, this, is, this is the type of prayer that he's happy to answer because it is really what you need the most, right? To trust him. Um, so there are probably some barriers to why you wouldn't trust God. So why would you, why would you believe that he's the only way? Like Jesus says, you know, in John 14, uh, 6, I think. Yep. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So then you're like, how do, how do I trust these words? Um, and so you might think, you know, um, yeah, basically, what are the barriers? Why do you, why I think people can't trust and believe that 
God is the only way would be one, um, because you're sinful. That's, that's everyone's disposition. You're sinful, you're naturally rebellious. And that doesn't mean that you sit and you swear every day and you treat people like trash. It just means you have a, a disposition to not want to trust God because you do not know him. Just, you know, you don't know him. You don't know enough about him and you, you trust what you know. You trust yourself. Perhaps you trust your friends more. You trust your parents more. You just struggle to trust him. And, and that is a sinful disposition. Um, so you just naturally like that. You naturally have a distrust towards God and it, it's sinful and you're constantly acting in line with that nature. So that's one reason why you just don't believe the words that he's the only way. Another reason could be that you actually love your sin and you love your autonomy. So it's now moving beyond, I, I, I struggle to know, I love having the ability to choose my own way. And the Bible just comes with way too many uh, limitations and way too many things that challenge the things that I want for myself. So you love being able to be your own God, essentially. And so you don't want him. Another one could be that you're interested um, and, you, and you, you, actually, you actually care. So you, you read the Bible and you care, but you don't because you have some kind of trauma or you have just a natural distrust towards people for very good reason. You've never witnessed authority that was ever good or you've never known a loving father as God describes himself, you've, you've never seen that in real life. And so you're just like, how's that possible? That could be another one that life makes it hard for you to just believe it because you've never seen it. Um, and the last one could be that um, you know he has a good character. So you know, you like God is love. Jesus does love me. I do know that. But somehow your actions don't align with what the Bible says. So it's like you know it, but when you confront it with a tough situation, you act and in a way that's inconsistent. So that's another thing. Um, so the only way to combat these barriers is to get to know God more. How do I believe that God is the only way? Well, I need to know his character so that I can trust it. And you really just need to learn that from scripture. So that's like the main thing. And you need to learn these characteristics about God. You need to know that he doesn't change. You need to know that he's powerful over everything. You need to know that he is fair and he is just. You need to know that he's glorious and that he's good and that he's merciful. All those things and, and how to define them according to what he says. Those are things you need to learn about. And trust me, you don't naturally know them. And you are right when you say, I haven't really seen it in real life, um, because there's no one on this earth who could really model that kind of perfection, obviously. The only person who ever did was Jesus. And again, you, you see that in scripture. So if you want to know God's character so that you can trust he is the only true God, and therefore Christianity is the only way, because Jesus 
because Jesus said so. If you want to trust those things, you need to learn what it means to be holy and loving and merciful and just. Those characteristics about God, and you can only know them from reading scripture. Sure, Mr. That was a great answer. Thank you. That was really awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head there pretty actively. Uh, any, anybody else from the Guys, are you hearing me? Am I disappearing? There we go. It's <laughs> like, talk to me, guys. Let us talk to I know, you. I just realized I, I, I forgot I changed the set. That's no, still... yeah. Um, yeah, thanks, Mish. Honestly, I think you covered all of it. At the end of the day, like it really it's it's those it's it's taking the time to know, it's taking the time to grow. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. But like, you know, it's taking the time to like know and grow in God's word. Like the Holy Spirit does the job of answering this question for you. It's about taking the time to welcome him in, you know, welcome him in, blah, blah. welcome him in, you know? So yeah, I think you covered most of it. Yeah. And I like the practicality of it as well. Like um, sometimes even as Christians, um, it's hard, like we get sometimes complacent because like we've been Christians for such a long time. Um, and it's good that we check ourselves based on, you know, like what you've mentioned, like sometimes we can know Christ and we go to Sunday school, go to teen church and, come home and like do all the method things that like seem to be a christian and then sometimes you're right like our actions like when when it comes to the hard stuff when it comes to like pushing ourselves to do the hard things we like we sometimes tend to say oh you know what like i'm just going to go with the easy side or i'm going to follow my, my mates or whatever like you know you're not you're not pushing yourself and i think the mm -hmm. that was that was really good like the practicality of it and then answering it but what we can do um i think that was that was uh, that was very insightful thanks mish mm -hmm. Sure. I just had a verse that I wanted to quote from 2 Corinthians 4.16. And it says, therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And that really just, Tracy reminded me of it by, it's the work that the Holy Spirit does in us day by day and like how Keenan is saying when you are losing heart and you feel I am trying to know God I really am I'm asking but it's not working scripture tells you to not lose heart and though things look dire on the outside on the inside God is working on your heart yeah that's that's awesome um I want to I want to add something as well, um, not to take away from what you've said, because I think if what you've said is the the heart of it. I think uh, something to so so one of the things that you mentioned was getting to know God in order to understand kind of His loving nature and all of that, which I think is so wise. Thing that I would would say as apologetics, 
which is apologizing for the Christian faith. But apologetics is um, look at God and they go, well, he can't be loving if he doesn't allow all religions to get to him. But from a from a like a philosophical point of view, it'd actually be more unloving if God allowed every religion to get to him. Um, because so so I'm a I'm a dad, right? If I set up one way of doing things for my one child and I say these are the laws for one child, and I say these are the rules for another child, and they're different. What's going to happen in my house? <laughs> Chaos. Um, and, uh, and now we take God and we say, God, you're a loving father. Yet he allows different ethics for different religions all across the world. Um, then uh, what's going to happen? Chaos ensues. Um, a loving father is someone who's... There's no favoritism for this group or this group. There's one way of doing things. Um, and uh, I've often done when I've often, when I've asked, been asked this question before. I often say to people, you know, they they say to me, uh, God would be more loving if all religions get to Him. Then I respond back and say, Okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk into a room and I'm just going to shoot everybody, and I'm going to say that is my way of worshiping my God. If I did that, you would not be able to tell me that I was wrong um, because um, all religions are right. And therefore, if all religions are right, then God actually condones me shooting every single person in the room. So so that's why, uh, yeah, another reason to say that it's not wise. Um, and it's actually more loving if, if a loving father says, here's one way of doing things. Okay, moving on. Uh, I'm sorry this is a weird way of doing things. It would be great if we could be more interactive, but we really want to give you guys the best of getting all the answers. So please just uh, go have coffee with you if that kind of keeps you awake for all these things. Uh, sit down, write down what we're saying if it kind of helps you concentrate. Uh, switch off anything else on your device or your phone if that helps you concentrate because, you know, this is really worthwhile stuff we're doing. All right, we're back to Keenan. So, uh, Keenan, my friend, if you could uh, get us going with the next one. And uh, mute you, I think I have to ask. Cool, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the second question I had was um, geez, so, this was quite a loaded question um, to the extent that I might need more than five minutes, maybe a whole year to maybe discuss with the, the entire panel. Um, but the question is uh, how does the Christian deal? with depression um and obviously there is quite a bit um to cover here so what i'm going to try to do is like just give a, a good um overall um sort of understanding uh, and i think also this is a very tricky question because we separate sometimes being a christian to maybe what society says uh and i think there's a lot of answers for depression um that society gives us right so maybe go and see a psychologist or take these meds or you know these kind of um answers and it's tricky because sometimes we also live in a state where you know we want we want the the solution quickly like we want to get like this this um this barrier that's like blocking us from being the polite nice person that we think we are or that you know that we know we are sometimes um 
based on what you're facing, like anxiety or depression. Um, and unfortunately, no human being can cure depression. Like, I mean, it's not something that's like, okay, cool, you know what, let me do this, this, and this, and I'll take this, this, and this, and I'm going to be cured from depression because people go through different life stages. People, as I mentioned in my first question as well, like everyone's at their own circumstance, like have their own circumstances. Uh, and these change, right? So like there's ever-changing circumstances whilst growing up at different age groups. So I think, as I said, I think if someone could say, look, here's the answer for depression, like, you know, take it and and, and you'll be fine. Um, unfortunately, there's there's no such thing like that. And I think um, the emphasis is that no human can unfortunately cure depression. Um, and it's honestly become a real, like prevalent mental illness. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand sort of the state we kind of in um, and it affects everyone mentally where if you're an outgoing person and you want to be with people like now you're forced to be at home um, or if you are put into a state where you're a very inward uh, person and, and don't want to be sort of mingling with a lot of other people and you're not a socialite then you know sometimes you put into that situation and you feel uncomfortable um, and that does tend to cause depression and anxiety because everything on social media says, okay, cool, you need to do this, or you need to travel here, or you need to do certain things. And sometimes when people are not up to that standard or that level, um, it can become very unhealthy um, because people start to look inwardly and say, look, um, I'm not good enough. Um, I haven't maybe studied hard enough. I don't have a good enough job or um, I, have, I don't have like, you know, nice friends or whatever the case is. Um, and I think, I mean, relating to the teens specifically, I think there's a lot of issues that maybe your parents don't think con or consider themselves issues. So just to, you, to put it back and, 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 um, and look at it practically from my point of view, uh, I, grew, I grew up knowing that, um, or, or to be told that like children are not allowed to have depression, uh, teens are not allowed to have depression. Uh, and the reason being is that they don't have big enough problems. And um, you know, they were always taught like, okay, cool. You know, children go to school, they come back from school, their parents pay for their school, you know, things like that where the important decisions are all made by older people and therefore they're allowed to have this sort of breakdown um, and they're allowed to have like these sort of um, like inward thoughts to say look I'm not like I'm not gonna be um, strong enough for my family but they, that that's a, a very wrong point of view and I think a lot of people misunderstand depression and therefore um, their leadership from even a parent perspective or a teacher perspective is more in the sense that you're not grown up enough to have these big issues. And um, and that's quite scary because you get a lot of uh, small humans or even teens who are growing up now uh, uh, thinking that, look, um, I can only have these issues when I'm older. The issues I'm facing now are not so big. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll just sort of deal with them on my own. And, and that can be growing up in sort of a very unhealthy sort of manner. Um, and I think that's quite scary. So I think, yeah, I think, as I mentioned, I mean, it, it goes back to how, how a teen's not having real issues. I mean, like the fact that, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think um, the suicide rate between 2007 and 2018 increased by 56% amongst young teens, sorry, amongst teens and young adults. Um, and this was study done by Washington Post. So I, I kind of maybe believe it, but I think, I mean, we, we take it with a pinch of salt, but that number is quite scary. I mean, if you look at a 56% increase, which means that it's almost like, well, close to double, but it, it's actually quite worrying that um, any related mental illness is actually driving, and, and we're not only talking maybe about Christians here, but non-Christians as well, to 
to um, give up their lives based on what they're dealing with. And again, that goes back to not maybe addressing it um, at first. So I think it's it's really hard to to go back and say, um, look, teens, what you guys are experiencing now, um, it's not worth saying that it's depression because it's a very small issue compared to a bigger scheme of issues. Um, and I think that's the important part. And, and that's why people think like, you know, no one's listening to me. No one's hearing me out. Um, I'm dealing with this thing that no one maybe understands. Like my friends don't understand. Um, my teachers at school don't understand. My parents don't understand. And um, I think that's where being a Christian sort of helps because you can go to a psychologist sometimes and, and uh, yeah, look, they'll listen to you and give you some advice. But sometimes you put in that position where you just feel like everything is against you. Um, there's no way out. And, and that's a scary part. Um, so I think bringing it back to the practicality of tackling depression as a Christian, uh, we most importantly need to note that depression is an illness and not a sin. So I'll say that again, it's, it's an illness and not a sin. Um, so remember the misconception, especially sometimes in churches as well, is that being depressed means you are failing to trust God or being depressed means you are failing to be joyful in what God has given you or blessed you with. Um, and, and obviously failing to give thanks to him for that as well. So I think a good example comes out of John 9, uh, verse 1 to 3, I'll read it quick. It's a, it's a story. So it's basically um, Jesus was walking away uh, and uh, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And uh, the man says to him, Rabbi, his disciples asked him why um, this man was born blind. Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And uh, Jesus replies, uh, it was not because of his sins of his parents um, or his sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. So I think that's like, it's, it's quite telling in the sense that Christ sometimes gives um, his biggest um, challenges to his biggest warriors. Uh, and also remember that like Christ won't allow you to go through something that he can't help you um, with as well. I think uh, the, the emphasis on this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him is um, sometimes that, you know, God can bring good out of destruction uh, and sometimes hurt. Um, it just means that we have to trust in him aside a little bit more or, or give our lives to him and, and make him be the center um, and how do we deal with this in terms of like a practicality uh, and being a Christian, maybe as a teen? So um, I have a few points here. And I've just mentioned that I think the first point and the most important point is that you're not cut off from God at this time. Like there's no, even though it might seem like there is, there's no big separation between you and God um, during your time of depression. Because I think a lot of people go very introverted to themselves in their rooms, thinking that now there's this big space between them and their friends, them and their family, because they're going through something that no one can understand. Um, the important part and the, and the loving part of God is that that he doesn't cut himself off uh, of us when we are battling with something like depression. Um, and I think you need to know that there's a father in heaven who loves you and cares for you. Um, and Jesus always promised his followers the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is always with you. Um, despite what you might be going through at the time. So I said, uh, so I think like uh, the fact that we're knowing that God is with us um, and he provides us with peace and guidance um, in every day of our lives is to know that when we are going through depression and anxiety and other mental illnesses, that it's to know that God is there and he's our comfort. Um, I think also the second part is that you're not alone. 
um, God's given you people in your life uh, for a reason. So your mom and dad, friends, family, someone to trust. Like sometimes it can even be a teacher who, who um, maybe just goes extra mile and caring for you a little bit. So I think you need to know that during this point of depression or anxiety that um, you you going out and, and reaching out to people so that they can help you and so that you can talk to them um, is a means of of God's blessing in your life as well, that he's given you that person to say, look, go, just trust them. Like, you know, just have a chat to them. Maybe you don't have to tell them the whole thing initially, but pray about it. Like just the important part is that knowing that we're not broken off from our community around us and um, God's love and faithfulness never, never depends on you as well. So it's not like, like you, um, determine god's love and his faithfulness to you um and, and the nice thing is that he's given you a community that you can lean on as well during this time um and i think just going back to the most important part i think of this whole thing is that god can bring good um even out of something that is painful as depression like as i mentioned before um he really gives us a task that we can't deal with without actually going to him and and asking him for guidance um and just to be a comfort during this time and uh, as I mentioned in my previous point, I think humans will let you down um, to an extent because, again, they're humans, they're sinful. Um, God is constant. God's love is constant. And again, his, his goodness and faithfulness is never dependent on how you behave. That's God's goodness and faithfulness. That's based on God. I mean, sometimes we can't, it's unfathomable that how he continues to like, um, just keeps on forgiving us for, for our sins. And I think it's important to know that as something as big as this and something as prevalent as this right now, um, I think it's important to know that God God is is at work um, in, in your life. Sweet, man. That was, that was a proper answer to that question. I mean, seriously, Keenan, that was an amazing answer. I've, I've had, um, I've been to uh, like Dr. Chris Wharton. He was amazing. Bless him. But, even his answer wasn't as great as that. And he was, no, I'm serious. That wasn't like, I'm not just like sucking up to you. That was a really helpful answer. Um, so I'm going to open it up to everybody. I, I just, you know, something that, and again, I'm really just, just kind of perhaps adding something that, that I just think is perhaps worthwhile, but, but Keenan's answer was really, really just brilliant. Um, is, um, is, so I, I like to often look at Jesus's life to see if he's ever gone through some of the struggles that we have. And the more I look at it, the more I realize that he, he does. And even so one of the areas in Jesus's life where, where one could, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but one could argue that he experienced near depression, near depressive, a near depressive state is just before he is put on the cross when he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, his anxiety levels reach reach so high that he starts to actually sweat blood, which is a con. Which if you if you look it up, sorry, the sun is trying to get trying to make, stop the sun from making me look whiter than I really am. Um, is uh, is so so the one thing that um that happens there is if you go and read that I can't remember what it's called, but it is a it is a medical condition that can actually happen and it's very rare, and it happens when when people's anxiety gets to so gets so hectic that they start to sweat blood and uh and there uh you if you carry on reading from there especially in mark's gospel mark's gospel tells you that not only did that happen but at that point and from then on until he is on the cross he's alone um and then at the very end when he's on the 
cross, even his father leaves him, which is why Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? And the reason I'm mentioning that is because when you hit depression, one of the things that happens is you start to say, you start to feel that you are completely alone. And, and even things like joy and things like that leave you. Now, now we know that if God steps away from us, all the things that are good in our lives, joy, love, all of those things, they're removed. So when the father turned away from Jesus, not only did he experience all the suffering of our sin entering him, but he also experienced complete depression. He had no love, no joy, all of that. Um, and again, I'm just mentioning these things whenever I can, because I want you to see that when you're praying to the Lord and you're in your depression, he's, he's been there. He's done that. He's got the T-shirt. He knows what you're going through. So he doesn't look at you and go, oh, this is like, like Keenan was saying, oh, you know, this is a teenage problem. They're not as big as adult problems. He's not like that. He's like, it's like, man, I know the feeling. And he sits there and he, that's why the Holy Spirit is a great comforter because it points you to Jesus and Jesus has been through it. So, uh, yeah, that's just my two cents. Um, again, I just want to say, Keenan, what an answer. I'm glad this is recorded because <laughs> these answers are going to go up and we can use them again. You can always come back to them if you're struggling. Tracy, Michelle, anything? Yeah, that was just really fantastic, Keen. Um, I've, I've experienced depression before. And just from what Keenan is saying, that's honestly so the first the first time I did it was after my brother died and it was just I experienced just disillusionment because I was like I didn't expect him to die and I was just like well I really didn't picture my life without him like all these sorts of things I'd never thought about and it caused situational depression and I was on antidepressants and obviously at that and at that time I can't say that I was particularly encouraged by much although the antidepressants really really did help but it wasn't it didn't like Keenan said it wasn't a cure it it just helped me not to feel so low but it was still there it's like this underlying thing so like sometimes you can literally be in a good mood like happy and depressed you can be irritated and depressed. You can be sad and depressed, which is obviously the worst combination. And genuinely, so recently when I felt depressed again, sort of like how I did that time and I, I never have like again since then, and I did, really the thing that got me through was just that, okay, God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. Especially since my depression was situational, it was, it did just strike and it's like circumstances causes it to strike. And, and you just like, it feels like you were living a lie and the depression has just like revealed this sort of truth to you about who you really are. And, and you just have to remind yourself while you're going through it, that God hasn't changed and he doesn't change. The situation changes he doesn't change. The situation that brings about these feelings, it comes, but he's not surprised by it. And yeah, you, you need to hold fast to the fact that God doesn't change. And the God who doesn't change is the same God who understands. Thanks, Mish. Sure. Sorry, I just want to know that. One, just to like no, you add can, on. You can do, you can do. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, 
everybody's pretty much covered everything. But I think that the unchangeableness <laughs> of God, I think that's the part that's, I guess, the most important because all of it is temporary. We're only here temporarily. I think Keenan actually said it earlier in one of his other pieces. Yeah. Um, we're only here temporarily. This is not our forever place. This is this part and eternity is this part. Yeah, it was Kiyu, Keenan. Um, and that's the thing you kind of have to remember. Obviously, we're not saying this is easy. We're not saying we're good at it. We're not saying we're experts at it. I'm sure I'll get frustrated at something today even that is just about this life. But it is, it's the unchangeableness of like God. God doesn't change. He's the same. The Bible's the same. It doesn't rewrite itself in every situation. And I guess you can find solace in, he's a constant in a world of, you know, change, which is quite mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So thanks everybody. Um, so guys, I think from, from now on, uh, just because time is, it's actually 25 past 10. We're supposed to end at half past, just over past half past. So, so guys, if you can give us um, some more time, uh, teens, that would be also great. I think we're going to try and aim for sort of maybe 2211 and, and let's just get through the rest of the questions and leaders uh, panel. We won't, we won't add our two cents afterwards. We'll just give every person time to answer. I, I also have one question, which I feel it's worth answering because I kind of advertised it and it was part of my questions, which was on the LGBTQ movement. So I will, I will answer that one after you guys are done. And then if there's time guys, we'll, we'll, we'll take some questions. Um, Awesome. So uh, I think Michelle, are you next? Yeah. Yep. So Michelle, can you can you spearhead us? Uh, the rest of us leaders, let's uh, let's switch off our cameras so that we can save data. All right. Thanks, Mish. Cool. Okay. So my next question, remember, under the banner of God's leadership, is why do we have a choice to follow God, but eternal consequences if we don't? So the way I understand this question um, is if God is good and he is the right way, why would he allow us to have an option for the wrong way? Um, And so I think the best way I can answer this is by starting with Romans um, first there is um, a verse in Romans 1 verse 20 that says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So first and foremost, God doesn't hide the truth from us and then So that's not the case. So from day one, the minute you can perceive the world, you have a sense that there is something more. You don't necessarily know Jesus Christ. It doesn't just come to your mind, but you you have a sense that there is something more. And I think we can all agree, whether you believe in God or not, or Jesus Christ or not, you have a sense that there's something more. That's why you think, what's my purpose on this earth? You know, surely I can't just die. I need to do something with my life. That sense you have, it's warped by sin, 
And that's why you can conclude in all sorts of ways. But the sense is there. And that sense you have is put there by God. So that's the first thing. And then Romans 9, 19 to 24 says, and it truly answers the question you asked me. And it says, one of you will say to me, so this is basically the same question. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? Right? If, if you know, it's, it's not in my, my hands, I either believe in God or I don't. And I might, you know, if I don't, I'm going to go to hell. Then, then, then why would I be blamed for that outcome? And it says, but you who, but you, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? So Jews and Gentiles, obviously, we can just take that as, you know, non-believers, basically. And what the verse is saying is it might seem unfair, um, uh, but basically your questioning of why God would make it that way in general. So why is there hell? Why is there wrath? The questioning of that would be rooted in, a really low view of God. So if you don't have any concept of God's goodness or love, you don't understand why he why he has the right to do certain things and you also don't have a concept of your sin at all. So like we said, you have this general sense that there's something more and you um you're alive today, right? So you have the choice to take the Bible and try to understand what God is saying to you. You, 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 have, you have the ability to read about God's plan, his nature, his character. So if you opt not to do that, so we're not talking about someone in the Kalahari Desert with no books or internet. We're talking about you. You literally have the Bible. You've been given the truth by God, revealed by God for you to be called to him. And you have a concept that you should do something along those lines. And so if you choose not to, that is an offense to God. That is sin. That's what sin is. You don't want to be under his leadership. You don't want to know what his plan for you is. So that would be sin. So if you opt for that, you really have to believe that that is an offense. So if God is really good and he's so righteous and holy and you literally choose that, no, I would rather control my life, then, then you, you literally are opting for the choice where your life doesn't involve God. 
So when you carry on on the path, that is the, that's the end of that path. The end of the path of not wanting God is not having God. And that is essentially what the consequence is. So you, you're not even being punished out of the blue. It's sort of actually being given exactly what you want. And so if you think like, no, I don't want that. That's not what I want. Well, then God has given us a way. He's given us a sense of himself. And then he's also given us a very detailed account of who he is, why he's made the world, why he made you. And the verse sort of answers it for us that the alternative, as far as a believer is concerned, is, is, is more basis for why God is so glorious and so merciful. So the way I see it is that I have a real concept of my sin and I know it is horrific. I know that denying God, living as if he didn't exist, is, is a horrible thing to do to the God who sent his son to, to save me from this life. And I know it's a horrible thing to do. So knowing it's a horrible thing to do really makes me so happy that I have escaped the alternative of being without him. And so to someone who believes in God, the fact that God has wrath, the fact that there is an alternative only makes me more grateful and makes me realize how merciful God really is, how glorious he really is. Because after he's been offended by me, he still chose to save me and love me and let me escape the consequences that I deserve. And that's, that, that's why it's, it's amazing. So it doesn't make me feel sad, like, oh, you know, it's unfair. I'm like grateful because you saved me from it. And if you feel like you want to be saved from it, well, it just goes back to what I said earlier, that you just need to ask you need to seek ask and it will be given if you really want god you 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 really want to know him so you can really believe and 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 really admire what he's done by helping certain people escape from his wrath then you can just ask him amen michelle um, thank you so much. That was awesome. I'm not going to take too much time. Uh, I'm going to quickly move on to Tracy. So Tracy, I'm going to unmute you. Tracy, I, I'm sorry. I, I forgot to get to Tracy earlier. So Tracy has two questions to answer. <laughs> so let's move, let's move on to Tracy. I'm going to mute, uh, unmute you now. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Mitch. Um, yeah, so I promise you guys, I wasn't just sitting here chirping for the sake of chirping. I wasn't a commentator. Everyone must have been like, why is Tracy here? She's just looking at them. Anyway, okay, cool. So let me jump in because we don't have a lot of time. Um, the first question I had was, how do you become more involved in the church? Um, luckily, my questions are very life application like related. So it's a good on the back of the questions that Keenan and Michelle answered. Um, so pretty much a nice, simple answer to the question I'm being asked here is, what are you interested in? Like what, you know, what do you do on a day-to-day? -day? What type of stuff do you like doing? And how can you make that something that helps 
you know, in the church. So for instance, if you're interested in music, is there a way maybe you could assist on the music team? Can you sing? Are you interested in, you know, maybe are you cool with playing with kids? Maybe you can assist with kids ministry. Um, sometimes it's as simple as like doing small things and then looking around to see what's available. So in my case, when I became involved in teens, it was just one of those things where I'd had a couple conversations with teenagers and it just clicked that this seems like a thing I could do. And here I am, however many years later. But yeah, it really is just trying, like trying your best to look for something that will interest you within the church. The really great thing is we have the blessing of having a very big church where there's a lot going on at any given time. So plugging in and using your hands to assist in some way is not hard. The one thing that is unfortunately difficult because of COVID is, you know, none of the things are thinging, but something we always have to remember is the church's purpose at its core is to spread the gospel. It's about making sure that more and more people hear about Jesus Christ and his saving power. So if you boil it back down to that, going back to what the other, the other um, panelists have said in terms of identity, if you go back to the fact that the identity and at its core, the church is about spreading the gospel. So how can you be more involved in the church? It's as simple as helping spread the gospel. It might just be inviting your friend to a Zoom meeting, especially now during COVID, where they can join from wherever they are. Hopefully they have the data allowing, you know, but like it might be as simple as exactly that. Inviting your friend to a Zoom meeting like this or on the Fridays, depending on how long we're locked down or inviting them to church. It might be as simple as just asking where you can plug in. At the end of the day, it's about sharing the gospel. The church's purpose is to share the gospel. So if you can't find anything within the church that feels like you know what you're doing or you can help with this, help us share the gospel and you'll be involved in the church. But yeah, in terms of like actual practical things, I would suggest honestly looking around you. Like I said, we have a really great church and it's massive. So um, just find ways to plug into that. Even if it's just as small as when we are back, um, helping pack away chairs, helping sanitize, helping just ask where you can. If you really want to be involved, the space will create itself in a real way because there's a lot that can be done at the church at any given time. You just got to ask and you will receive. Um, and another thing that I wanted to add to that was just kind of a verse to, you know, encourage that as a behavior. Um, I actually had two of them. One of them was um, Mark verse, sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And it says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And the reason I picked that verse and I wanted to just add it like to bulk up what I said is um, at the end of the day, Jesus came to die for us. He didn't come to be a king. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and he served in the greatest way. He gave his life. So when it comes to service, it shouldn't just be something you're just like, eh, I want to. If you really are serious about service, which we should all be because Jesus, you know, gave his life type of vibe. If you really are serious about service, then really look around, pay attention, like ask around, ask questions. I mean, ask any of us leaders if there's something we could be needing help with when we're back. And like I said, during the space of COVID, 
serve by actually just helping people get to the gospel. So inviting them to Zoom meetings, inviting them to watch the sermon on YouTube or downloading the sermon on YouTube for them. So yeah, that is my quick answer to that. Sorry, I was looking at time, so I'm trying to cover all my points. But yeah, that is my quick answer to that one. Cool. Um, can I move on to the next question just automatically, Lejit? Go ahead. Cool. All right. Um, so the next one is, how do I grow into a better and more confident Christian? So this one was a little bit tricky because I, you know, I was like, hmm. But honestly, I'm going to say the thing that we were all taught openly, like in, in Sunday school, read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. It's a song and it's most appropriate. Um, at the end of the day, to be a more confident Christian, you have to realize that Christianity is your relationship with God and with Christ. And in a relationship, the only way to be more confident in your relationship is how to get to know the person better, to spend more time with them. Because the only way you know you've got, like, for instance, your friends, if you have a friend and you want that friendship to grow and to feel like, oh my gosh, this person is really, truly my friend. What do you do? You spend time with them. You talk to them. You get to know them. And the only way, it's the same with your relationship with Christ. You have to spend time reading the Bible. You have to get to know Christ through the Bible. You need to pray. You need to spend time wanting, or not wanting, sorry. You need to spend time growing in your walk with Christ and in your relationship with Christ for you to be more confident in your relationship with Christ. Um, I think this question, sorry, I'm going to try and shorten what I wanted to say, but um, I think this question also linked to how can you be more confident in sharing the gospel with others? And at the end of the day, the most, like, I guess the thing that you are the most confident about is your own story. Like, you know how you became a Christian and you know how God has touched your life. So that story needs to be your jump off point. After that, you can throw in the rest of it of the more you grow, the more um, Bible verses you know, the more like just facts about Christ you can share. But if you know your story and you know how to make your story truly be told in a way that glorifies God and not yourself, because it can happen that it's Christ, hopefully. So in the case of being a more like, wait, I was saying, yeah, confident Christian, read your Bible, pray every day, grow in your relationship. And from there, it will be easier to kind of share the gospel, which I assume is what this question was hopefully kind of pointing to. Because being a confident Christian is just knowing what you're talking about. It's just like anything else. If you learn things and you You have to study it. You have to continuously be pushing yourself. So that's that. And then the verse that I actually wanted to add into that was Deuteronomy 13, verse 6. Um, it's more of an encouragement type of thing. And it uh, says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you and he'll never leave you or forsake you. Um, the reason um, this verse, I chose this verse is because it was, Joshua needing to be encouraged as he was about to take over from Moses before the journey, oh, during the journey to the promised land. And it's exactly that. It's 
God has so many verses of encouragement in the Bible, just constantly saying, hey, I've got you. Don't worry, I've got you. Especially when it comes to Christianity, you have this immovable, unchangeable God, as per the panel has said. Use that to your advantage. He doesn't change, he doesn't waver, he doesn't become something different. That's something you can stand firm in. And because of that ability to stand firm, that should make you confident to continue to grow and learn and be in a relationship with him. Yeah, okay, that's it. <laughs> Sorry, I sped through that, but yeah. No, that's all good. All right, guys, so um, it's, it's, no, we've done, we've done really well considering. So guys, we've, we managed to get through like a whopping, I think four questions. Um, so, and uh, so Michelle just wrote there, great practical application, Tracy, so helpful. Christianity is really your relationship with God. I appreciate that. Um, so guys, so just, I want to see from the people who are, it's so cool to see so many people here. Uh, I just want to see if any, if you guys can uh, give me a reaction. Can, can we just take 10 more minutes of your time? Give me a thumbs up if, if we can do that. We have a yes from Vihan. Maybe yes. <laughs> Yeah, I have to run like in the next two minutes or so. Okay, so I think well, I think what we'll do because um, so I I really want to get to this LGBTQ question quickly because I think it's wise. If you have to go, guys, uh, it'll still be recording. It will obviously be great to have you guys still with us because your faces give us encouragement. Well, your your just knowing you here gives us encouragement. Don't don't show your faces because otherwise, so, so our internet. We just discovered today that internet in Madrid is not doing so well. Keenan Keenan's. <laughs> very hopeful because he thinks it's it's uh, because everybody's at church so we'll go with that um so <laughs> thanks keenan um but this is recorded and you can find it on our youth page of our website uh just to remind you guys next week we are starting on our series which we called radical which is called radical which is talking about how do i how do i be a radical christian how do i be a christian that looks different to the world around uh, so i'm quite excited about that series um so, all right, so I'm going to quickly answer that LGBTQ question. Uh, I think let me just do that in the last five minutes. If you have any other questions, guys, can you please put it into the chat? Because I'm thinking what we'll do is uh, we have this, uh, this, this YouTube thing called Lightbox, which is something that, that we have. You can go check it out. It's on our Christchurch YouTube page, or you can find it on our youth page. It's called Lightbox, where we just do YouTube videos um, talking about Christian wisdom. Uh, we'll put some of the answers to those questions on there. I think that's a great platform to do it. There's so many more questions we still got to answer. But let me quickly hit this LGBTQ question. Um, so here's the deal. Um, the questions, I'm actually going to combine two questions, and I can answer it in five minutes. The first question was, what does the Bible say about uh, the uh, uh, people acting different to their identity? Uh, which which I can actually answer using this LGBTQ question. And then another one was, how do I talk to my friends and family uh, in the LGBTQ plus community? Uh, and how do I engage with the LGBTQ plus community and not be seen as homophobic? Um, so so there's really two questions there. It's 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 what is my what is my identity and how do I, I interact with people within the LGBTQ community? So um, the reason why I'm combining those two questions is because I think the big challenge that's facing today's society is who am I? Everybody's asking it, and then what they do is um, 
they they try desperately to find it and when they and and the world at the moment is giving you multiple ways of of, of saying this is who i am uh and and they it's so what people are doing is they're looking at their sexual preferences and they're using that to make up who they are their gender and they're using that to make up who they are um and and in their, their real hope at the end is that they can be happy with who they are happy in themselves so i thought the best way for me to answer this question is to actually uh tell you a story because uh, i bet our brains are also fried uh after listening to people solidly talk to us for an hour so let me tell you a story because that often helps and it's a sad story uh it's a story that doesn't have a happy ending um i one of one of the churches I served at, I ran a, a young adults life group, and uh, and I had a, a guy who who was part of our young adults life group who suddenly um, uh, came out and and told me that he was gay, um, and the first thing that happened was I had no clue how to respond, <laughs> um, and so what I did was I said, well let's meet up and chat. Um, but I also told the people in our church, which I thought was the wisest thing. Um, and what happened was not only did I respond incorrectly to this guy, but so did the rest of the people in the church who responded. And what they did, which was wrong in the situation, is they responded with hitting this dude with a Bible. <laughs> And so let me just say the first thing that I want to say is if you've got someone who's struggling with their, their own identity, this guy was, was struggling with his sexuality, but if anybody's struggling with their identity, the worst thing that you can do straight up is to whack them with a Bible. <laughs> the first thing you've got to do with people is love them enough to listen. That's what we didn't do. Um, had we just listened to this guy a lot, we would have seen his heart, seen his struggles. Uh, instead, we immediately just came at him. And what we did, we didn't just hit him with a Bible, but we hit him with a Bible telling him that he was wrong, that he shouldn't be like this. And, uh, and what we were doing was we were attacking his decision to be gay when actually what we should have been doing is dealing with his identity because he was struggling with who he was. Uh, and so we, 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 we did the wrong thing. So we listened to the guy. Uh, we should have listened to the guy and we didn't. Um, then what I started to notice when I was meeting up with this guy myself was that when I would show him the Bible, um, he had decided that actually his emotions and how he felt about who he was, was what decided his identity. So he had these huge feelings inside of him. And for example, I would, I would, as I said to you, I did the wrong thing by going Bible first. But when I would show him the Bible, um, I would open up passages in Romans, which which clearly uh, clearly show that um, homosexuality is not not God's choice for the way the world is. And uh, he he would have these such strong emotions inside of him that when he would see that, he would immediately say, "No, but that can't be right. The Bible can't be correct." And so what he would say is. Perhaps, perhaps this translation of the Bible is wrong, or perhaps, perhaps the uh, the there's a different way of understanding this. Perhaps you've got it wrong, and the understanding isn't correct. And no matter how much I, I realized at a point that no matter how much I try to convince him that this is actually the correct way of reading this, 
that was the wrong way of responding to it. The, the, the thing that he was actually dealing with, was struggling with, was that he was putting his own emotions and his own thoughts about who he was above what the Bible was saying who he was. Uh, and, and that's a dangerous thing because our emotions and how we feel about ourselves change all the time. So if we have that as what decides who we are, then we're never going to be happy with who we are because those emotions keep changing. They might not change every five seconds. They might only change every five or 10 years, but they're still going to keep changing. And so you'll live the rest of your life continue, just continually just wrestling with who you are. Um, and so what I actually needed to help that guy with, had I listened to him and spent a good amount of time listening and let him see just how much I loved him, and not just listening, um, showing him that I wasn't a judgmental person by, by continually meeting up with him, by continually having him still part of my friendship groups, by hanging out with his friends and his people. And when I mean by his people, I mean like his family, his, his circle of friends, his lifestyle. If I showed that I cared enough, then at some point I could actually say, hey, bud, listen, here, here's actually what the Bible says about your identity and show him something which I know would actually free him up. Because here's the thing, a lot of these guys, when they're struggling with this question, um, they want the burden of their identity being lifted off them. Um, that's what they really want. They're hurting and they're struggling and they just want help and they're crying out for it. And uh, if you can show them that God can take the struggle of your identity away, that you can actually cast your burdens onto him, then you, you really are doing them a great service. But you can only do that once you've really loved them. And, uh, and what I would do is I would take them to places like Genesis 1, where you learn, Genesis 1 verse 27, that the, our identity, our image, that's another word for identity, is actually... We're not the ones who are supposed to be creating images. God is. Because Roman, Genesis 1 verse 27 says, "Let this is God speaking, and he's creating the world, and he creates humanity, and he says, let us create man in our image. And what you learn from that, that verse, let us create man in our image, is one, God is the one who creates images, not us. He says, let us create man in our image. Um, two, uh, we created in his image. Um, so he's actually given us an image right from the start. And it's it's his image, uh, it's his identity, and he gives it to us. Uh, and we've already discussed in previous questions about what that means, what that looks like. Um, so if you join us later, just rewind. Then I'm not going to go through all of that. Um, but but what is a big help with that verse is it's just saying like, listen, here's the burden. Uh, take it from me, Lord. You you create. Uh, Royden said something really helpful in one of his recent sermons. He said um, he said one of the biggest challenges with today is that people are trying to be God because they're trying to make themselves into who they want to be. And and because we know God created the world to work in a certain way, you can totally understand that if we go against that, then we're obviously going to feel, feel the repercussions of trying to do that ourselves. Uh, we're not doing things the way we, the world was created. It's like when the computer, God has made us a computer, but we decide to, as being the computers ourselves, do our own things. And so we go off the roadmap of how he's made us, and that causes issues. The computer starts to do things it shouldn't, and you start to feel the pain and the hurt of trying to live differently to the way you're created. Um, and so once you come back to that and you realize you can give your, your identity to God, that's a powerful thing. Um, so I think I've, I've really wrecked my time there, so I'm not going to say too, too much else. But 
I would say that if you if you ask if you are wanting to help your friends, help them walk, love them, love them so much, and then slowly help them to see the identity that they actually are created in. Perhaps if you give me one thirty more seconds, um, there was a, a YouTube video that um, I found really helpful. I've shared on this group here. It was a it was a discussion with a woman who was actually uh, who is actually a lesbian. But uh, she's not a practicing lesbian anymore. She became a Christian, and she says some super insightful things as to how God, how God met her. Um, this woman is a highly intellectual woman, so she's not stupid, and she really, she really gave a really helpful answer. I'm going to put it in here. But one of the things that she said, which really was helpful for me, is she said she realized when she came to God um, that she was deciding all the ethics and how to live for herself. And when she came up with God, who didn't agree with everything, she suddenly realized that perhaps God knows better about the world than she does. And perhaps what he's doing is protecting her in ways that she cannot see. So by submitting even something as big as her own sexual identity to him and saying, okay, if you think this is wrong, I will choose not to live that life. She thought maybe this is actually God's way of just protecting her and looking after her and she just can't see how he's doing that um so that that is something that that is also helpful to add to this discussion so i'm going to chuck that in the group um i think uh we'll take if there's any questions i don't see anyone adding any questions to the chat if you have you still got five more minutes to just quickly add them um tracy would you mind closing off in prayer while i quickly chuck this thing into the group Are you saying, sorry, you broke up there. You're saying add the answer to my question onto the group. I'm going to add uh, that that link uh, that I was talking about from that woman um, to, to here so people can go watch her interview, which was really helpful. Cool. Can you can you pray for us, Tracy? Cool. Let's pray. Awesome. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're grateful for um, this day. Lord God, we're grateful that we've had so many people um, coming in on this Sunday on Zoom. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that your gospel is still being shared despite um, the different just challenges and limitations we have. Heavenly Father, we're grateful just for like everybody being able to answer these questions, the insights we've learned for, we're grateful for the panel. Heavenly Father, we're thankful just for the ability to be able to do this. There are so many people who are craving to go to church and can't necessarily afford to go to church the way we're doing it now. Heavenly Father, we're just praying that they may be able to read their Bibles and find some solace in the good book in the interim. And just um, we're praying for all those who are currently suffering from COVID and the pandemic as a whole. We pray that you take the wheel, you um, manage it, your will be done. And at the end of the day, we can come out of this thing having grown and learned and still having a good relationship with you. And I pray for this week and I put it in your hands as well. So I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, you've had oh. the power to unmute yourselves. So.